everybody. I think we should just get this kicked off. Hi, Mike Lampa. I see you in the chat. Um, okay, well, let's just do this. Let's do what we're here to do. So I would like to officially welcome everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Kalia Garrido, and I head up marketing and events here at Great Data Mines, which is now a high-to company. Uh, a little bit about Great Data Mines, if you don't know us yet. Great Data Mines is a collective of passionate data activists. And we are on a mission to modernize the world of data. And we do this in two different ways. The first is that we have our services arm. This is our strategic planning, education, and the deployment of critical data projects. This happens at hike2.com. In addition to our data services, Hike2 is a fully functional, best-in-class innovation consultancy that specializes in digital transformation strategy, design, and implementations. Uh, we are a proud Salesforce partner, and we can assist your company in a variety of technical projects. Then when it comes to our data and analytics community content and conversations, you can find us at greatdataminds.com. This is where we host our events and we run our videos and our podcast uh, with transformational thought leaders, just like the ones we're going to hear from today. So a little bit of housekeeping before we get rolling. This is a webinar. So of course your cameras and microphones are off, but we would love to hear from you. Two, actually three different ways you can do this. Number one, you can write to us in the chat like Mr. Mike Lampa has already shown us how to do. Um, if you prefer to wait to the end for a more formal Q&A section, then we'll hold some time at the end of our meeting today to do that. And then you can also use the Q&A functionality that's available in Zoom as well. So we always wanna hear from you. We wanna hear um, your perspective and your thoughts as we go. We'll also be recording today's session and we'll share this back out with everybody. So of course you can stay tuned for a follow-up email after this. Uh, and now some introductions. Um, we are so excited today to host the next episode in our podcast series. Please allow me to do some introductions for these esteemed guests. The first is that we have John Wills. John is the founder and principal of Prentice Gate Advisors which specializes in advisory consulting, writing, and speaking about data architecture, data culture, data governance, and cataloging. And previously, John served as the field CTO at Alation, where he contributed to research and development, catalog solution design, and strategic customer adoption. John, thank you for being with us today. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, and then we have Michelle Moore, the one and only. She is an experienced executive who has built an impressive career focused on driving digital and data transformations for global distribution and e-com companies. She currently holds the position of VP of Global Process and Data Optimization at Arrow Electronics, which is a major B2B distributor with a $30 billion valuation. And she is also a valued advisor here at Great Data Minds. Uh, Michelle, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Kelly. Um, nice to see you. Nice to see you, John. Um, so thanks, everyone, for joining. We're going to focus today on data culture in relationship to data governance. And, you know, that governance has been around for a long time, really came to the fore back in the 2000s with GDPR starting to be introduced in, in Europe and then has slowly been adopted elsewhere and so is a big factor um driving the need for governance right but on top of that we have sort of more ethical concerns as well around protection of data as everyone in the world now is exposing themselves through their own data so everyone's quite clued into the need for governing and controlling access to data and how it's used and then on the back end side for businesses you know the the right setup of data allows the data to allows the company to make better decisions, right? And have better control over what's going on in their business and better visibility. I think the rise of generative, generative AI is now bringing it to the fore again, right? It's kind of been back there. People have done bits and pieces with it, but now this is raising the bar, I think, in terms of what controls we need to have in place and what the potential fallout could be from misuse um, of data. So governance, again, is becoming quite important. So we were going to talk today about how do you enable um, governance within a company and how do you do that through a transformational type approach around developing a data culture, right? So rather than focusing on all the policies, rules, and regulations, let's talk about how do we get a business and businesses in general to care more about their data and realize that what they are doing 
with it and to it is important, right? And that it needs to be thought through and it should be structured in a, a way where it can be controlled and the oversight is there. So John, I know you have a lot of experience um, in this area. I thought I'd start off asking you a couple questions and we can kind of go back and forth on some sure. of these topics. What have you seen as some of the challenges that businesses face when they try to introduce these types of controls and governance? Hmm, that's a good question. And thank you. Um, thanks, Michelle, for um, sort of kicking us off. And I'm very much looking forward to the discussion. So um, and thanks for that question. Um, you know, I guess I'll I'll just for a moment take the question a little bit broader, right? And and then I'll try to zero back in on some of the challenges. Um, you know, I think that culture, you know, I often when I talk to data leaders, right, I, I talk about a spectrum and governance sort of is on a spectrum from everything from audit and compliance and regulatory driven governance to business growth, agility, you know, flexibility on the other end. And I, and we talk about where do they want to start? Where, where are they now? Right. Cause a lot of organizations are on their third go round trying to trying to implement governance, but it all dovetails back into our, our, our overall topic here, which is culture, right? So what kind of culture do they want to affect? What is the role that governance needs to initially play in that? And then how are they going to cover off on, on the entire spectrum? So I think the first challenge coming back to your question is, um, is exactly that, like, where are you starting to be realistic? And um, one of the risks that I see in organizations is that leaders try to essentially bite off more than they can chew. They they try to serve maybe both ends of that spectrum at once. Um, it defocuses the effort, and it I, maybe more importantly, it it makes it a confusing message to their C level peers across the organization of what they're really trying to achieve. So usually, um, I'll just address that challenge. Right is Usually, and this is, you know, um, you know, I'm really painting with a broad brushstroke here, but usually it's better to decide and and accomplish and and have success that you can point to in the business um, in, in one fixed position on that spectrum and then and then move to move to the rest. Um, and then just a quick word about um, uh, you know, back to culture, you know, the way I think about culture really, really briefly is, you know, if you look at if you look at the definition in general of culture, it's traditions, it's rituals, it's shared beliefs, it's shared language, it's it's all those things. It's a really slippery, uh, amorphous topic, right? And so, what's interesting to me is think about well, how do all those things, if you just think about what a culture is, apply to data and how data um, impacts the culture of the business? Because we say data driven culture, or we want a data culture, but I think what we really want is we want um, a a, a business, um, uh, you know, a data-driven business culture, right? And we want it interwoven. We don't want two separate things. Um, anyway, yeah. long, long answer to your question. I want, what do you I, think? I think what, you know, how would you answer your own question? Let me throw I, it back. I would say, you know, I agree with everything you just said there. And I think what you're uh -huh. really saying is, well, two things. I think, you know, <clears throat> picking your priorities, right? Mm -hmm. In that spectrum, as a North Star, we're going to focus on this allows mm -hmm. you to, to prove out some success and get some buy-in, right? I think mm -hmm. it's really critical when you're starting. If you try to boil the ocean, you're going to get nowhere. Everything will make little progress to no progress and everyone will roll their eyes and get frustrated. So you right. got to pick the one thing and let's go after it and make that a success. And then you can expand out from there. That in and of itself is context dependent to the business, right? So right. what matters to that business? You could be driven by you've got there's a new regulation coming out and you've got to address it or you're going to get fined. So right. by default, that's going to become your North Star and you can build a sense of urgency around something like that actually much more easily than right. saying we want to learn some new things about our business by getting more insights. Let's focus on this particular area that is less um, compelling, I think, to the masses. Right. And so mm -hmm. it. Uh, takes away from building a culture. And to your point about the culture, you know, a lot of that is around the shared language, right? So right. as with most transformations, it it is important to establish one, what is the thing we're going after? And what is the language around that item in that um, direction that will allow us to have a consistent conversation with the organization that will get them slowly orientated around that's what's going to help make us successful 
to deliver this result, right? And then right. again, you can model that and uh, replicate it as you build out across different topic areas. So I see the same thing, right? The governance in and of itself doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Governance tied to an outcome will work and it needs to be quite focused and it needs to be transformational in right. that it is consistently referred to, you know, it's always out there where they say, you've got to say things five times for it to sink in with people, right? right? So it's that kind of mentality, I think. Right. So what what sorts of approaches have you seen to people um, coming up with data strategies, right? To, to help them figure out what is the right area? Have you done work around that? Mm, good, good. Another good question. Um, again, I, I, I'm going to take liberties with your question a little bit and narrow it, right? Because data strategy is yeah. know, super, super broad. You know, we can look at operational and transactional aspects of the business and, and, and so I'll, I'll just take liberties and narrow, I'm going to narrow it and say, um, you know, let's think about analytic strategy, right. And, and, and governance combo. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot in, you know, I'm a columnist for, for TDAN. And so I had to submit my most recent column Monday. And, and so I came up with a little decision framework. Cause you know, what's really interesting is that I've been hit with the same question by so many data leaders recently. And it's interesting. It's kind of a boomerang. It's like years went by when I didn't get hit with the question so much. And now I'm getting hit with this question around data strategy and how to get buy-in, you know, across, across, across the leadership. I think it's a sign of the times, right? But anyway, I won't go into that economic times and, and everybody, you know, scrutinizing more heavily, but anyway, so I, I've kind of been working on this framework to say, how do you think about your governance and analytic strategy? And it's sort of, it follows sort of a decision tree path where you ask a question, right? And the first question is, do you intend for your for your data strategy to be integrated in with, um, with the key business initiatives, right? And it sounds like a pretty obvious answer and we could flip by it really quickly, but I think it deserves careful thought and scrutiny. And if you, and if you, say no, then you go sort of down a path of you're just buying a tool or a technology and that has its own path. But if you say yes, and I think the next critical question on your data strategy is, do you choose as a data leader to either um, build support for a data program that sits alongside and complements key business initiatives? In other words, a key data um, initiative um, sits alongside as a partner in the business, or is your strategy to say that the data strategy for analytics and governance will be um, subordinate and will support key business initiatives, right? Mm. Um, because I think there's there's different, um, you know, the, the lift is obviously higher if in some organizations if you say you want it to to sit alongside, but then of course uh, data ends up having you know a, it's it's treated more as a corporate asset. That's so cliche. We all say that, but it it really would cause data to be viewed and you know more as a corporate asset and have the data program be elevated and sit alongside uh, business functions right which i think to many of us i'm sure in the webinar like as data people we'd say that's great that's fantastic but you know every business is it's is its own business and 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 so you have to uh i think that's a that's just the next decision you need to make about strategy so anyway no it's very high level it's sort of for data leaders but this is this is a thought process that I've been sort of walking um, people through and it, it seems to be resonating. So I thought I would, I would just share that. I don't know, you, you, you are in this, um, this really broad role with lots of responsibilities at Arrow. I mean, how do you, how do you think about that? Cause you, you have to do this every day, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that the key thing is um, identifying a clear business outcome, right. Mm -hmm. and, and then that will, help elevate the data strategy, right? I think mm -hmm. it's unlikely that a data strategy by itself is going to generate anything specific. It's, you know, you're going to tie that to something that you either want to sell or do mm -hmm. efficiently or whatever, right? So I think identifying the business outcome is one of the key things. Um, in my role today, really the focus is more on the internal uh, controls that are going to help drive efficiency around effective data management. So this is more on the whichever end that was, um, hard to mm -hmm. do in here. 
Um, but more on the efficiency plays, right? And the right. data is going to allow you to make better decisions and also have more efficient systems. And therefore you'll be able to automate more things, right? So right. that's another way to view the value of the data. That is a business outcome um, for which data cleanliness is critical. Yeah. Right. Um, some of the more regulatory things have already been dealt with, right? right? However, those are constantly evolving and changing, right? And as the oh. AI revolution takes off, they're going to change some more. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think it, it needs to be fluid, again, context dependent for the business, but also fluid with the external environment so that you're um, identifying the right priority to be tying it to. Um, right. I haven't seen a lot of success to, to, to make it its own thing, you know, and I, I think it's because it, it does run throughout the organization data, right? Mm -hmm. It's the blood of the system. And so keeping that clean by default is beneficial to all areas. But right. if you can identify some real beneficial outcome with some dollars attached to it, you're going to get buy-in way faster. And that's either we're going to avoid getting fined, very important, or mm -hmm. we're going to make some money from it, right? Either through right. efficiency savings or from actually maybe packaging it up and selling insights as an example, right? That's something right. that I've seen. So right. yeah, same sort of stuff. Yeah, just to touch on that efficiency point, because I think that's that's so important. You know, um, you know, in, in my mind, the way I think about this is, um, and I I wrote a few chapters on this in my my latest book. I'll do a shameless plug. You know, the goal is autonomous governance uh, for anyone who's interested. But it's that efficiency uh, should be where business process happen, right? And it should it should allow people that are um, doing their everyday tasks to have um, you know, the, the, the data should arrive, um, you know, um, to them with a certain level of trust, confidence, sort of, we would call it as data people, metadata wrapped around it. So context, um, and it should ca not cause friction in their, in their, in their work process, but it should, it should cause acceleration and efficiency. And, um, so, um, this also dovetails with a, a friend of mine, a guy named uh, Bob Siner. I'm sure many of you on the, in the webinar know Bob He's written some books on, and he's a, you know, leading advocate of, uh, his concept around non-invasive data governance. And so like one of my clients, I'll just give an example of this, right? So they do their, their accounting department. We were just talking about this yesterday. They do a lot of, uh, they, they buy a lot of companies. They bought 72 companies in the last six years. So they have to bring them together really quickly. And so they're always cross-mapping things and their accounting department's constantly cross-mapping chart of accounts, right? To have one universal view so they can they can do aggregate reporting. Well, instead of having a stewardship group come together and sort of outside of accounting, uh, flowing exceptions to the, the cross-mapping of charts of accounts to the accountants who are already actually already doing that. And just having them as normal part of their, their work, uh, you know, tick a few boxes and cross-relate things, but then have them flow into the system um, is a, it's a simple and it's more of a governance-related, less, um, you know, analytic and agility, but it's an example of uh, how we have to, as far as our, I'm going to try to connect dots here, as part of our data strategy, you know, in my belief and my assertion is we have to connect that directly to the business, but we have to do it in a very, I'll use Bob's term, non-invasive way, a very autonomous way or moving towards heavy automation uh, just to make everyone's lives easier. And the data is, has to just, you know, be central to that, right? Yeah, so, yeah. That uh, kind of bridges what do you think to, about that? Yeah, yeah, bridges to one of the other points we had there about okay. the center of excellence, right? So I mm. have um, in my past been part of setting up a separate function that was around data management and governance. Mm -hmm. And that worked, but it was more of a stick rather than a carrot, right? Mm -hmm. so the CFO owned that function. I reported to him. He was my stick. And I could go around to the business and say, you must do this because the CFO said so, right? And we would get people right. doing things because they had to. Um, but I am much more of a fan of doing it with a carrot and doing yeah. it more as a center of excellence where you are pulling SMEs from different areas of the business tied to your data strategy, which is your North Star of mm. what are you gonna focus on and letting them build out the governance related to that subject. 
And as you then pivot, as regulatory uh, requirements change or mm -hmm. your business strategy changes, you can pull in additional SMEs that then become part of that center of excellence around data management. Mm -hmm. And that makes it much more of a positive. It also right. um, respects and elevates the knowledge of those key players so they will care more. And right. so you can get a much better foothold across the organization by using, now part of that is just terminology, right? Center of excellence rather than the governance office or whatever. Right. Um, but it will allow you to pivot more easily as well and right. seed it into the business, right? So I, I'm a big fan of center of excellence approaches. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. rather than mandating. And, and I think the way that it's pivoted, what I see happening um, with different um, enterprises is they're pivoting that center of excellence to, it's kind of to be a combo. Um, in some sense, they're, 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 they're mentors or they're, they're guides, right? If we use that term um, to, you know, uh, how to approach problems, you know, what is, what does good look like, right? Enabling um, distributed groups throughout the enterprise. Um, and in some sense, they're, they're also um, guiding them on, I, I keep thinking back about culture again, right? And a part of a culture is, is adherence to, to, to norms, right? And that equates in the governance world to policies. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, like, you know, you just like in our, in our culture, in our society, we have laws and we have rules, right? Somebody has to, you have to have some. So, so I think part of center of excellence can be guiding people, organizations on the best practices and how to be compliant with that stuff, right? Without it being super heavy handed, uh, at least we hope not, but of course, reports and things still need to, still need to be produced and people need to be held accountable. Again, that's part of a, that's part of a culture as well. Um, yeah. yeah. But so anyway, so I see the so I see the see I see the center of excellence kind of taking on several different um, characteristics, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of the the uh, benevolent policeman, right? right. Overseeing and measuring. Right. I think you know part of the um, identifying the north star, the business outcome that you're going to rally the company around, and therefore mm -hmm. the center of excellence around is making sure you can measure the outcome for the accountability factor that you just referred to, right? Right. That's the only way you're going to prove that it is worth doing in the first place that will get people right. buying into it. I right. think those other pieces, um, just to touch on the critical data elements piece, right? When you sure. have identified that North Star that you're going to be focused on, that is the very next step. What are the critical data elements related to that subject area that matter? And getting control of those very first right out of the gate is the most important thing. Then you can build out from there, right? You can add in other areas where you you will learn as you go. Oh, actually, if we had more control over this data element, mm -hmm. you know, this field of data, we could have more consistency in our reporting. We could then learn mm -hmm. some more about our customers, as an example. So, you know, customer data management is an area that's very difficult because it's usually free form, you know, you can't have too many controls around address mm -hmm. fields and company names and this, that, and the other. People need to give you the information that you need to get in your systems, but mm -hmm. they can give it to you in different ways, right? So you can right. have a lot of dirty data related to that, which muddies the waters and really makes um, some of the reporting hard in the business. So right. as you hone in on things, you can start to develop rules around things and put in cleansing mechanisms to deal with that. And a lot of this center of excellence cultural piece um, is not dependent upon systems, right? You don't mm. need to be buying tools right out the gate to do data governance. Right. You should just start with the center of excellence cultural discussion, right? And you can do that right. with the shelf tools until you need to scale it. Then and you need to look right. at what right. else can we do? I right? totally agree. You don't, you don't need any tools. I mean, if you look at what is, okay, so what makes up, again, going back to my I guess my my central theme for today. What makes the data culture so shared language, so um, shared understanding? So look, you could take. I think every HR department, as part of the onboarding of new employees, ought to have a subsection of that, which is, um, you know, what are you know how do we how do we value data? How do we how do we handle data? What are we what do we do with analytics? Um, 
you know, at least a module, right? So everybody has a common understanding and, and then doing things like just, and again, it doesn't need to be in a tool or a platform, but taking something like a wiki environment, like a Atlassian Confluence or something, and just starting to stack up glossary terms. So you're, you're, you're educating people on the, the shared language and, and, and common things that everyone um, strives for across different. Yeah, I to totally agree. It doesn't have to be uh, it doesn't have to be tools and platforms. In fact, there's always a risk you jump to that too quickly mm. um, to start to. But like as you say, I agree. Once you need to scale it, I think there's also human psychology for me, and I'd love to get your take on this, but human psychology in the sense that um, in, in the old days, right, setting up, you know, governance with a three-tiered committee, and there's nothing wrong with those, you know, levels and everything, but it was... Um, you know, it was sort of like, uh, I go back to the, you uh, use, use the word benevolent police officer, um, but it was still seen as a policing operation. And mm. I think perhaps dreaded what I see organizations succeeding with is working on the culture side first with transparency and shared language. And so getting um, different groups to just, just share, right, the terminology they use, what assets they have. Uh, yeah, it's a bit messy. You're just kind of putting all those all in one place and there might be some overlap, but it's more positive and it's a sharing type operation is sort of, you know, dovetails into collaboration and shared language and all that stuff. Then they're bringing, um, you know, then once some, some momentum, some trust, some confidence, this is for the, you know, this effort is for the good and the betterment and the, you know, agility, people get excited. And then you can bring in some of the, you know, the more, you know, um, you know, the policy related, um, requirements, mm. if you will. I don't know. What do you think about that? What no, we, what I, I completely seen? agree. I think that you've got to have it be organic in nature for it to stick, right? And mm -hmm. that is all back to the sharing transparency, um, which can be done, as we've said, without buying new software, right? You can just mm -hmm. do this as a transformational type of program, um, which, you know, is a common thing to be doing. Anytime you're changing something core in the business, let's say you're doing a systems conversion, that's a transformation, right? And mm -hmm. so all the same rules that apply to getting that to be successful would apply to this change for the business, mm -hmm. right? Even though it's not systemic right out of the gate, it is mm -hmm. about terminology and um, rules of behavior, that type of thing, right? So I think yeah. um, applying that approach usually works very well. Um, so I think the, the other thing to just touch on here is the executive buy-in piece, right? So mm. I've, usually when I've seen this work, it's come from an executive who wants to do it in the first place. So the mm -hmm. buy-in is sort of already there, right? Maybe there's a little convincing of the, the um, peer group of that executive. Um, but in the example I gave about the CFO, well, you know, he was this, in the C-suite, it kind of... Mm -hmm was an easy sell and the board liked what he was trying to do. And he had a very mm -hmm. clear um, outcome he wanted to achieve, which was to reduce the number of days it took him to close every month. Right. right. So we needed to get the data under control to be, to enable him to do that. That was mm -hmm. the whole driver for that business case um, and that approach that we took. So that was a stick approach, but it succeeded, you know, because mm -hmm. there was a big stick. <laughs> now, if you're doing, some other approaches, I think if you're starting at a ground roots level because you see a need and you're trying to get the business to buy in, you've got to get crystal focus on what the thing is, right? And it has right. to have some beneficial outcome. Otherwise, you're not going to get the buy-in. And right. again, I think trying to find a way to start it without saying, and therefore I need $500,000 to buy this new system to help me do it right. is not going to get the buy-in required, right? You've got to really start with the cultural piece to get executives to understand that they might need to do this because there will be many that don't realize actually sort of the risk that they might be taking right now as right. data rules and regulations are changing. So I think it's got to be, it can be bottom up it right. works when it's top down, but you've got to get somebody up top buying in. Yeah. I, recently I talked to a data leader and they, you know, took them a year, right. To um, convince um, you know, the, um, uh, essentially the, the C-suite, right. Combination of C-level executives, right. Of the, uh, business value and impact of, um, of a major data initiative. Um, but they got there, but that was kind of what I would call the bottom up as you described it. And then 
the reverse once um i'll i'll switch analogies here and say the religion once the c-suite had the religion it pushed down and everything accelerated um i don't think it needs to take everybody everyone that long i mean what i've noticed in the marketplace now is that uh you know we've moved into a new generation of c-suite leaders and they get that data is a fuel right whether whether you call it you know an equivalent asset to monetary assets or physical resources or people i you know i don't know we you know that's a whole debate but but they get the data is the fuel for the growth the agility of the business um this one uh client i was thinking of a few minutes ago and i said they they've been acquiring companies like crazy i mean that's all about velocity and and bringing it together and having consolidation and and uh and being able to optimize margin and cost as quickly as possible. That's all about data. They get that. They're not technologists. They don't know anything about data architecture or data, but they get that data is the fuel. So the good news is I think a lot of C-suites get that. I think the challenge for data leaders is we, and I think you alluded to this, like we have to be super sharp at translating into business value, right? Um, and And get away from our platforms and our tools and our, you know, all that, um, all that language and to pivot to the language of the business. Yes. Um, and then also hold ourselves accountable, right? That means you need to put a stake in the ground and say, here's where the business is X. If we do these things, we're going to get to Y. Um, and here's how we're going to measure it. And yes, measuring it is not easy. There's no direct, you know, you always have to do a connect the dots through a number of assumptions and whatnot. And that's, that's, by the way, my, my opinion is the hard part, mm. but anyway, that's, that's nothing new, by the way. That's been around for for forever in business. When you have an intangible asset and you're trying to to relate yes. how you make use of it for business impact, right? That's there's nothing new there. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Not I mean, easy. Same <laughs> as a, a marketing investment, you know. Right. How exactly. do you prove you're going to increase sales because you run this ad? Right. You just it's very exactly. hard to do. There's got to be a little bit of um, getting the religion, I think, for sure. In there. Yeah. 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 For sure. So I think the, the other thing um, that's kind of interesting is if you look at um, it, so every business has this challenge, right? The degree of the challenge is almost a direct correlation to the size of the business and the age mm. of the business. So the older a business is, the more likely they are to have data all over the place, especially mm -hmm. if they've been in an acquisitive business. Uh, and the newer the business, the, the more narrow the scope can be, which is beneficial, right? So I think young companies and startup companies today have a great advantage. They can get this under control right from the get-go, right? Much more easily than a large, older company because they just have so much baggage that they picked up over the years before this even became an issue that they're now having to grapple with, right? A lot of consolidation, challenges around systems and sources of data um, that, you know, is a lot to go at, needs to be dealt with at some point in time, right? So there's there's sort of a never-ending um, source of activity there for the larger right. companies. Um, and if startup companies and younger companies can think about it now, they can get well ahead of the game, right, before they grow. Yeah, I, I think that's true um, because you know, for a lot of the reasons you stated, um, primarily it's a greenfield. You're, you're a new company. You don't have a lot of baggage to deal with, but I also think there's a dark side to this, right? There's what I've seen, there are a lot of SaaS applications and people on the, on the call will know this, like a lot of SaaS applications aren't transparent about their, their data, you know, how the, what schema it's stored, if it's in a schema, mm. um, what the, what the, what the descriptions of the content, right? Um, so when you're using a SaaS application and, you know, you just use it through the UI and maybe you have an API, but you have no way of gathering up the metadata to put into a catalog to compare against the rest of your data, you know, so we're, we're ending up with these really hybrid environments, right? SaaS apps, then we have on-prem apps, and then we're, mm. um, we're building some of our own in our own virtual private clouds in AWS or Google or wherever. Um, and so in some ways, you know, especially when we take a look at, you know, I'm going to cut back over to governance topic, but when you look at cross-jurisdictional boundaries and, 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 you know, in, in laws right across, you know, EU, North America, different States um, in the U S and different um, countries in, in, 
all over the world, right? I'm just calling out Western Europe and, and North America, but this is everywhere in the world. And and data crossing boundaries, you know, someone creates a query in Paris that cuts across to a data center, sits in, you know, in the Rocky Mountains, right? So um, data, guess what? Just crossed a bunch of boundaries and there's a bunch of laws that maybe have overlaps. So, and maybe maybe that doesn't, I'm thinking, thinking out loud here, but maybe maybe that, that, that applies to all businesses, not just startups, which is the focus yeah, yeah. Of, your, of your comment. But nonetheless, my point is, Wow, um, we have just just a lot of challenges, massive challenges around this. Um, but um, you know, I I'm going to pivot one more time, and I'm sorry, maybe too much coffee today, but pivot one more time back to the data culture. I'm so encouraged, and I'm so excited to be able to um, see data leaders who are connecting people. Right, so there's a social aspect to to culture. And there's a sharing of knowledge and sharing of knowledge, um, which isn't just about glossaries and glossary terms, but it's about the reuse of assets. Mm -hmm. So data products are really hot right now. I know everybody yeah. knows that. So data, whether you call it a data product in, a, in an internal marketplace where people share, or whether that's people just sharing common queries for the most popular, use the term, you know, critical data elements against the, the most critical things. Um, it's really, really exciting to see. And there's a network effect there like you have with any social interaction, right? This network effect of, of, um, of uplift and productivity. In fact, years ago, there was, I say years ago, probably, let me say six years ago, there was a study done by Northwestern where they looked at eBay and they looked at 2000 analysts in eBay and they actually studied, and this was a doctoral, I don't know if it was a doctoral thesis, but it was, it was a grad paper and a combo by a bunch of um, scientists and they studied it and they found that shared knowledge in the form of queries that specifically looked at queries, um, had empirical proof that it uplift productivity and efficiency in, 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 inside eBay. So a little tidbit there for, for folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the other thing around that transparency in, you know, the challenge of people are able because technology mm -hmm. has become more democratic, easily accessible, more mm -hmm. able to go off and do their own thing, right? And be creative mm -hmm. and innovate on uh, the way that they might be analyzing the data. Mm -hmm. That can be great. It can also be a problem, right? Because mm -hmm. they they can apply their own algorithms and their own logic to something, which is good on the one hand, but mm -hmm. they can bring it back in as a data point of truth that actually doesn't align at all to the way the business looks at that information, mm -hmm. right? And so now it looks like a really positive data point, but actually because of the way that the algorithm was run, it isn't true in the context right. of that business, right? And right. so understanding what is happening to the data, I think is equally as important as to, to really where it is and, you know, who gets to see it and all that kind of right. stuff. Right? But um, to understand what, to, to, to comprehend what's happening to the business, it, that brings us to the topic of literacy, right? Which is a huge part of culture, right? Yep. yep. So, so people have to have a discerning eye, right? And a, in a, in a thought process for how they, 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 um, how they absorb what's being thrown at them, and they say, um, "Okay, does is this is this right? Does the frame of reference even for the question the way it was asked is that right? Right? Yes. Let alone let alone the data." Yeah, I think that that's the trick, right? The balance mm -hmm. between um, causing too much questioning because mm -hmm. you don't trust the data because mm -hmm. you don't have the transparency about where mm -hmm. it came from or the trust about where it came from you know, results in a bunch of reverse engineering, proving out the data is valid right. and you waste a lot of time. So that's why the whole transparency piece that we've been talking about is so important. And the sharing of this is where right. this data comes from and this is what has happened to this data. Therefore, we can guarantee that it's true. And in fact, in a prior life, one of the things we had was um, we went through and we certified data sources, right? Mm -hmm. As being valid in the way that it was stored, secured, <clears throat> excuse me, and or calculated, it was certified. And so if you knew that that report came from that data source, you mm -hmm. didn't have to question it. It was already good to go, right? So applying things like that can be super helpful in reducing 
uh, distrust and therefore reducing all this reverse engineering and reverse analysis right. to determine if you believe it or not, right? So you right. got to balance. And you do want people to be creative and innovative with data, right? That's where you're going to get some oh, absolutely. results. So I think it is it is a tricky balance um, of enabling but controlling, right? It's, right. it's very tricky. Right. I agree. And I, you know, I have this... Um... I have this this dream that in my career we're going to get to the point where, you know, someone doing their job in the business can float across any spreadsheet or go in any report or any and they'll be able to right click or hover over a piece of data like a field in a in a spreadsheet and they'll have this contextual knowledge like we again we would call it metadata but they'll have contextual knowledge it'll say um you know this has been i mean certified or you know, where this thing came from, you know, um, and some tools are, you know, like Tableau, not to just call some out, but some tools like Tableau and, and Power BI and some are, you know, they're actually, they have some of that capability, but it takes a lot of energy and a lot of architecture to feed, feed that stuff properly to it. But nonetheless, I, you know, this is that when I talk about sort of getting to a point where there's no friction, right. For, for consumers of data use, we're all consumers of data, right. But we need, we need no friction. So again, you like think about something like lineage. Somebody gets a, a report and they go, well, I'm not sure I trust it. Um, where did it all come from, right? So immediately technologists like me, you know, we start to think about lineage and all those mm -hmm. graphs and we want to send them off to look at some, you know, Rorschach, you know, chart, right? That and But most business people don't want that, right? Yes. What they exactly. want is what I, what I call the Christie's, uh, the Christie's provenance, right? They want to know that this this thing that they have and they're holding their hands and they're trying to figure out how to value it, right? Like, well, who owned it before me? And are they authoritative? Well, Christie's is authoritative. Did Christie's put it in their catalog and say that, yeah, it's got a number and actually was the, uh, you know, the painter of, of record, right? Yeah, they just want to know that, right? Yeah, yeah. Plus, yeah. plus I mean, in terms of governance on the, on the sort of the policy side or the, the control side of governance, um, it's we should be helping people know what they can and cannot do with the data as they're working with data. Right. I mean, it should be right there in front of them. Yes. Not like take this certification test once a year, you know, scouts honor. I'll remember all the stuff you just told me in a video and I'll, you know, I'll do all the right things with the data. Right. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. kind of, well, I can tell you, John, your treat, your dream is going to come true <laughs> because I just recently saw a demo of a product called our company one data um, old okay. colleague of mine started it with his uh, buddies over in Europe. Okay, and it does exactly what you just described. Wow, right? I you've given me homework. I love yes. it. I and love I, it. In fact, you. I'll give you an intro to the guy. Um, okay, perfect. Demo. It's it's fascinating. You know. Yeah. And um, it really helps you understand where data sources are. What's what's creating this other data product, right? Perfect. So you might have this data product that's come from these data products and it it is all about managing data products. Oh, um, I'm excited. Into a way. Yeah, it's very yeah, good. That's great. I think they owe you dinner for the plug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm going to, uh, seriously, I'm, I'm going to look it up because there's so much happening in this space, right? There's yes. open there's open standards that are emerging. I, I just ran into one last week. Uh, it's coming out of some people at PayPal, which is around contracts, around data contracts, an open standard for APIs. And mm. I mean, it's just so much of an explosion right now. It's uh, in some ways, you know, for those of us that have been around uh, data our whole working lives, right? It's it's kind of like this this new, the next wave of explosion. Yes. Um, which is like really like, you got to take a deep breath and say, okay, let's dive in, like get my energy up. And, but on the other hand, it's so exciting. It's like, yeah. wow. You know, I hope I got 30 more years in this industry, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. maybe exactly. not really, but, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. So Kelly, I wonder if there, are there any questions that anybody's posed? Yeah, this is a great time to submit your questions. If anybody on the line has something that they would like to um, ask, absolutely. This is a great time to do it. But um, I do have a question around, you know, we talk so much about generative AI right now. And I know the whole kind of other side of that is security, like data privacy, uh, info security. How is that all related with data governance as you both see it? Well, I, I think, you know, that it's, but it is part of the whole, right? You can't um, have the discussion around data uh, culture 
or strategy without those factors included. And, you know, that's about getting clear on who can touch what, who can see what, and what outcome are we trying to achieve will dictate who those people are, right? So I, I think it's inherent in the conversation. It should be um, always on the list as a part of the things that need to be considered when setting up um, access rights as an example or um, creation rights along that stream. It should be looking at what are the security requirements? What are the regulatory requirements, right? Around um, how long you, can you keep the data as an example, right? You may, part of your data set may disappear at some point in time and you need to figure out how to manage that as well. So I do think it's inherent in the conversation. It, you can't have a proper data culture without including those in, in the discussion, yeah. Yeah, I agree, I agree. I mean, this whole topic of model governance, right? And and so let's, let's just extend that to large language model governance, right? So model governance is not necessarily new. I think what is new in, in my opinion is there's a coming together um, I don't know if conflate is the right word. It's probably a, not the right word, but let's call it coming together of enterprise risk management frameworks with infosec risks, with privacy risks, with data risks, right? Which have been, you know, the, the domain of governance and, you know, just, just another element and another dimension or characteristic of, of, of data risk is, um, or is, is models, right? So I'm excited because, um, you know, as, as the data risks, you know, for a corporation are identified and the controls, right? What needs to take place in order to mitigate those risks, those controls are documented and those, those come in and are, are, are managed under the same enterprise risk management framework. What excites me about that is it's a maturing of our data um, discipline, right? Because it really is a proof point that data is a corporate asset at the same level of, uh, of people and, you know, physical resources and, 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 um, and uh, money and, you know, all that other stuff. Right. So um, it needs to have that same seat at the table and not be governance shoved off in some corner of the enterprise. Yeah. They'll, they'll take care of that, you know, you know. Yeah. Agreed. Sort of totally right? agree. In fact, it, it, it um, sort of reminded me that not once once have we mentioned IT in this conversation, right? Which I think is so important, important that we don't mention it because IT is an enabler. It is not the controller, right? Mm. IT should never be the one that is, in my opinion, lumped with you're in charge of data governance because you're IT. It's mm. got to be owned by the business. And the only way you're going to get that culture going is if the business adopts it, right? As a new way of uh, behaving. And IT is the enabler. It can put the controls in place. It can put the tools in place. But you've got to have the business understanding the what's, the whys, and the why fours to make those tools useful anyway. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the center of excellence on the business side, not on the IT side. And certainly they can be on the center of excellence, but mm -hmm. they shouldn't own it. They shouldn't run it. The business should be doing that, right? So I think that's kind of a an interesting Thing that we'd never mentioned that between ourselves during this conversation because mm -hmm. it is all about get the business buy-in get this culture in place and then everything else will follow through right your structure right. should be built around that right yeah Great. i agree um and we do have a question from our own mike lampa in the chat he says there are several bills around ai accountability that are being proposed right now and gen ai is going to feed that fire how are people getting ahead of the governance implications as they entertain Gen AI use cases? Well, I think first off, identifying the use case is very important, right? Mm -hmm. What are we doing with it? Um, I think what I've seen and heard people talking about at the moment is they're not sure. So they are um, doing more around policy than anything else. So sort of making their organization aware that, hey, this thing is out there and we know you have access to it. We're not gonna stop you having access to it, but please do not do these things with it, right? And being quite prescriptive about um, how to use it um, in terms of what data can be um, input into an AI tool. 
as an example. So I think, you know, that's the the starting baby step, but I know, you know, we've had discussions around how do you incorporate um, the ethical um, elements of data usage within AI, right? Um, making sure that you're understanding how it might be used, where it might go, um, removing bias from any um, output from it and making sure that you are understanding actually how the AI works so that you don't just assume everything it provides back to you is the truth because mm -hmm. it won't always be, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's an education piece is really where it's at right now is people wait and watch to see where government regulation might go on this topic. That's what I'm seeing at the moment. Yeah, and I'll I'll just add to that, you know, what I see is, as, so Mike asked the question, how they get in front. I'm not sure anyone's really in front of it, right? Um, but but what I see people doing, I don't, that's subjective, right? What do we mean by in front? But what I see people doing is inventorying the data assets they have. That's at the raw level, it's not the model level, but then tracking what data is going into what models, right? It's very fundamental. It's just, it's just, asset inventorying this data goes into these models and then and then putting some level of contract i mentioned that before now not many people are as formal as a internal contract but putting some level of let's call it um approval right at step at and and so they can control where the model gets used um and so that's that's kind of the basic level um uh of, of what i see happening um, it kind of reminds me of um what you saw happen with cloud, right? As more mm -hmm. and more SaaS products became available, the mm -hmm. business got savvy and started saying, well, I'm not going to go to IT. I'll just use this thing over here because I can just pay for it on my credit card and do some stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of ran rampant, right? And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden, IT departments realized, oh, they got a big problem. They need to get that under control. And so policies got rolled out around you You cannot use a credit card for this type of thing, or you cannot engage with it until you get IT approval, that mm -hmm. it passes all the security requirements or whatever the policies are, right? But that's mm -hmm. kind of how that one evolved was initially, we can't stop it immediately. So let's put a policy in place because we can control it there. And then we can figure out systemically if mm -hmm. we do and how we do put other controls in place, right? I think it's a very similar scenario. Right. Yeah. Right. This is great. Thank you both so much for such an awesome conversation today. Um, I think that there's, you've, you've, you've touched on a lot and it's clearly just, it's like you said, John, it's kind of coming back to the forefront now. It's sort of like everybody, it, well, we always knew data, but now data is like, headline stuff. So I think it's yeah. really fascinating and, and wonderful to have the expertise of people like you both to um, share with us and with our community. So we thank you very much for hosting the session today, John and Michelle. Um, and I thank to uh, thank you to all of the attendees. And um, we will record this. It's been recorded the whole time. Follow us on our YouTube channel and you'll be able to find it there. Um, and I wish everyone a wonderful rest of their day. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. Nice All right. Thank you, Michelle. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye-bye.